This is Tim Dalhouse, and you're listening to the Dow Talks podcast. In each episode, you'll hear me talk to builders and makers of Web3. Together, we'll be exploring our multi-chain future, share personal stories, and discuss how we're investing, experimenting, and failing with the startups that define the future. So join me on this journey of discovery as I chat with these leaders, changemakers, and misfits about tech, life, the universe, and everything. Today I'm talking to Carl Blomstewall, CEO of Nibiru Software. It's a Sweden-based company that have built the most successful, most used game on the Polygon blockchain. To give you an idea, they've sold 400 million NFTs inside of it. We're going to be talking about the future of our multi-chain Web3, the challenges of end users and the opportunities for projects just like Nibiru. Hey, Carl, how are you? Hi, Tim. I'm great. How are you doing? Very good. Very good. Where are you? You in um, Stockholm, I assume? Yes, correct. I'm based in Stockholm together with our team of 35 or so Web3 enthusiasts. Yeah, 35 people in the company? Yeah, around 35. And then we have, I would say on top of that, maybe 15 or so full-time consultants working around the world. Wow. 35 people in the office. 35 people in the office, 15 outside. That's already a um, big team to manage and quite a payroll. So exciting. You must feel the pressure as well in the beer market, do you? Or is everything going honky-dory? No, I mean, obviously, there's additional pressure due to the market circumstances. We're doing okay in terms of the game in itself and its metrics are doing really, really well. I think we're, as with all startups, we'll soon begin to look for funding. And, and of course, that climate is a bit harsher. But I'm very positive and optimistic about our situation. The game went on chain in November 2021. Um, roughly six months after that, we became the biggest game on Polygon. And now we're around third to fourth place across all chains. So, I mean, we've seen tremendous growth. And I mean, hopefully that's something that, of course, investors will pick up on when the time comes as well. That's great. I want to pick up on that actually in a minute. But give us a rundown. Game is called Planet Nine. Is that correct? Yeah, Planet Nine or Planet IX. So essentially, it's a strategy NFT-based game, which offers players a fun, uh, quite complex and, and challenging way to earn rewards in our token if you play the game right. And very shortly, like the game is made up out of four pillars. Uh, we've launched three so far. Uh, the first pillar is a huge globe, so basically a digital rendition of the world, uh, where we've divided all the land mass into hexagonal land parcels, which we call PICs. It's essentially a big marketplace. So the aim here is for users to trade their way to get a certain number of these PICs adjacent to each other. And when you do that, you created a territory. And with these territories, you could either go to our IX Foundation, uh, which is sort of staking in DeFi. You can stake them to get rewards. Or you can go to our second link, which is called Mission Control. It's essentially an asset monetization and play-to-earn part of our game. It's more or less, very simply put, a grid line of tiles where you stake your territories and then you can start to earn different types of assets on those. So the game in itself, it's quite complex. I guess that's one of the biggest things that we're working on to make sure that we really make people understand the game and can start playing. Those are the sort of the three parts that we have now. The last part, which we're launching hopefully this summer, is what we call IX Arena, which is a new feature which is catering to casual gamers. So the other three parts are quite complex and so you need to spend a lot of time to get into it. But the last part is, is really for the user who wants to do like a simple competitive 50-minute gaming on the tube. 
with the possibility to actually earn rewards because from the other parts of the game, we're funneling assets into the arena. So you can play a casual game with your friend for 15 minutes without putting up any money, but with the opportunity to actually win some rewards. So um, yeah, it's quite complex. It's very, very big. We took it quite a different route from many of the other sort of play turn and NFT games as you see out there. Very interesting. So your LinkedIn profile says, you know, you're CEO, gamer, and Web3. So who came up with the game? Like you already put out there, it said, you know, it's quite complex. Did you come up with the, you know, game dynamics? What is it based on? And give us a rundown. Yeah, so I joined uh, around six months after the, the company was founded. Uh, the company was founded by one of my best friends. He's, he's been uh, deep into crypto since 2016. So a serial entrepreneur, did his first real exit and found himself looking at the next thing, stumbled upon the Ethereum white paper and basically went all in on that. Uh, so ever since that day, he's been trying to get me over to the blockchain space. And he managed to do that six months after they launched this game. So I was part of the beginning, uh, but I wasn't part of formulating the initial vision. This was in, in the spring of 21. We saw like the uprising of, of players like Axie and, and other play-to-earn games becoming really big. But my co-founder then, then assessed and the strategic decision that he took was that these games are extremely niche. They're very limited and to some degree they're very linear. Like you do A and then you do B and then you do C and then you do D. And basically the more money you put in, the more money you earn. So there's no really there's no like game experience in that. It's more just a financial, you know, almost like a financial thing to do. So the way that we took was let's build something which is so huge that we could twist and turn and cater to so many different you know changes in the game and so many routes. So we built it very very complex and very big to be able to take so many different routes in the future. And of course we have a vision. But I think we're more aspiring to be very, very agile in the way that we're developing the game. Which obviously gives you advantage to adapt and learn permanently, right? See what works, what doesn't work, you know, address a different market. Tell me something that I'm curious about, like when um, we started on our side, getting deeper into actually building things in Web3, we started looking a lot into, and, you know, I spent a lot of time really on DAOs. That's why it's called Dial Talks as well. And, you know, what we've seen or what I've seen over, especially very much over the last 12 months is a collapse of activity in the DAO space. So the DAOs that are already there and, you know, working and fulfilling a purpose, you know, are still active and, you know, fulfilling that purpose. I don't think there's much of a change. A lot of the DAOs that kind of sprang up and all of the activity that were like startup DAOs, right? They're all gone. I, you know, if I had to guess, I would say the drop in activity is by somewhere, you know, over 95%. Okay. What have you seen with the change in the market conditions? Does the behavior change of your players significantly? Like, is there a lot less new players coming in or is this the same? What's better, what's worse, and what has stayed the same over the last 12 months? Well, yeah, there's definitely been a lot of changes. But it's funny that you brought up DAO because I know that when we started this, this was also like in 21 when, you know, the, the DAO really became a thing. Like everybody wanted to, to create DAOs and everything should be governed by DAOs. And we also sort of embarked on that mindset. So our game, we actually have a DAO structure in place for people to provide feedback, to stake their tokens and to raise questions and to vote on things. That uh, initiative we launched pretty early. 
Unfortunately, we haven't actually seen that much pickup. So there hasn't been that much interest from users to actually do that. In the same sense, we have also we have a number of different like fictional in-game corporations which handles different parts of our game to create our metaverse, if you will. All of them also have their own doubts. So you have like shares, what we call meta shares, where people can stake and they can actually also participate in voting. But I think the original outset that we had that you know everyone will jump on this, like everyone wants to be a part of you know the DAO structure. I think we have seen a little bit of a drawback, or people haven't been that enthusiastic about it. I think there's a number of reasons for this. We have a lot of uh, Web2 users, so we didn't go for Web3 users when we started. So I think that there's probably a learning curve aspect to that. You know, first and foremost, they need to understand a quite complex game. And then on top of that, they need to understand that, hey, I can actually participate in, in creating the game and coming up with ideas and voting and making a change. Uh, so I, I think it will come more, but we didn't expect that development on the DAO side. But then to your question on the market, our numbers are still growing, but not at as rapid pace. Uh, I would say that's one thing. The second thing is also, I would say, the the willingness to spend, uh, of course, follows the market, so to speak. So when there's a bull market, people are more inclined to spend uh, more in, in assets and more on assets in the game. We had a, a fantastic timing of launching the game when Bitcoin was at 64,000. So essentially, we have only been building throughout the bear market. So, you know, we've, we're very much hoping for that bull market to hit soon. I mean, of course, the, the good thing about that is that, you know, we have survived throughout this and we're very well paid for the next run when I think we will see a, you know, a huge mass adoption and new users. But uh, yeah, definitely things that have changed throughout these last 12 months. Tell me something. You said, obviously, you joined like six months into the project already into the game. So the decision, you know, to launch on Polygon was taken already or did you participate in that decision or, you know, what? drove you guys to Polygon? Yeah, I, I think I was part of the last discussions there. I think that the reason why we why we launched on Polygon was the fact that we are a quite transaction-heavy game. This digital rendition of the world with land parcels, it actually contains 1.7 billion picks. So there's a lot of transactions. Like I think we have just pure transfers. I think we have three or 400,000 per day. So of course, we couldn't go with a layer one, like Ethereum at that time at least. Uh, and then we looked at a couple of substitutes and uh, or alternatives, and, and we found that the Polygon would be the best one to launch. It was quite fun, actually, because before launch, we had sold around 300 million of those NFTs. And when we launched on Polygon, we said, okay, so let's start Mint. And we started minting, and we noticed that, okay, so we clogged the blockchain completely. Uh, we would do that for you know a foreseeable future. So what, what we ended up doing was basically, you know, um, rethink the whole structure and move everything to Merkle trees. But the reason basically was for Polygon, it was the best solution at the time for a transaction heavy game. That's good. This, this is, you know, something that has come up in conversations, you know, I've been having over the last few months. And I want to see if you have a strong opinion there. Obviously, you know, with CK technology, also pulling on is adopting this and how you said, you know, very transaction heavy and was the best choice in that time. What I'm interested in is your perspective on, you know, what is labeled or what we all label like as the multi-chain future of Web3, right? 
And what I'm wondering there is there's obviously, you know, we have the Bitcoin maximalists, right? And I think everything else is shitcoin and unnecessary, which I assume you're not part of, else you wouldn't be building, you know, um, what you're building. Then there's all of those and everyone that's like more an Ethereum fundamentalist, which goes like, you know, it's Bitcoin and Ethereum, there's nothing else, right? Yep. And then there's everyone else building on other chains. And you can then look at, you know, this is what's going to my mind. If you go to indicators of like the largest chains or whatever, I think there's several hundred by now. I think last time I was like, I saw a list of 220. And I'm interested in your perspective. You know, first of all, you guys are running on Polygon. And then you said already, you you know, brought it all into Merkle Trees. You'd be clocking Polygon. If you would build today, would you again build on Polygon or would you look at a different chain? That's the first question. Then the second question is, how do you see this multi-chain future? Do you think there's going to be like three chains or 300 chains? And, you know, what do you envision is going to happen there? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think as a company, we definitely have a strategy of going cross-chain. And that is, you know, I think that's probably more of a near-term goal than a mid-long-term goal. I do think that Polygon, they have their, their supernets. I know Avalanche, they have their subnets. I think those type of scaling solutions are extremely, you know, they are extremely lucrative and, and definitely something, you know, we are looking to do. Basically, you know, you're having your own blockchain on top of it, which leads to, you know, extreme fast, very low gas, the enormous throughput uh, and, and also finality time of, you know, just a second or two. So I think that's one thing we're looking to do, and but also just deploy on as many chains as possible to expand our exposure to new users. I think that the future is cross-chain, but then, you know, how that is done, if it's done by, you know, deploying your smart contracts on all EVM-compatible chains, or if it's done through, like, bridging partners or multi-chain partners that essentially do that for you, I, I think that's probably a, a strategic decision we haven't really decided. But going cross-chain, for sure, that is the future. Let me hook into there for a second. So when you say you're going cross-chain, I heard two things, right? Like, obviously, if you're on Polygon, finding ways to scale faster transaction, lower cost makes a ton of sense. And so when you say, hey, you know, we'd be looking on other chains and, you know, has to do with users, what do you see as the challenge that you have there? Is this solely about the ability to actually easily onboard users or do you see you know, an intrinsic value somewhat being on multiple chains at the same time beyond the ease of onboarding users. What challenges do you guys see from your gaming and company perspective that you can solve through that? And why do you think this is important? Yeah, no, I think there's a few challenges for our sake specifically. I mean, as I mentioned, the game is quite complex and across all the different parts of the game, I believe we have more than 100, 120 contracts deployed. So so there's definitely just the sheer work of redeploying contracts on another chain. That's one thing. I think the other challenge is also that, as I said, you know, we've taken an approach where we want to onboard Web2 users. So, you know, for them, just getting comfortable to now, you know, using MetaMask to do all things Polygon and to, you know, swap to Matic to, to pay the gas fee. And now having them, you know, do something else on another chain you know, might also be challenging or just to under explain why we were doing it. I think the benefit of going cross-chain, it's really to just, you know, getting more exposure, right? And finding partnerships, not only with, with new chains, but also with interesting dApps on the other chain. And, and also bringing 
our current partners to other chains. So very much like a partnership-focused company. We have quite deep uh, partnerships with both Chainlink and Superfluid and a few others. And, you know, we strongly believe in, a, you know, community pulling and supporting each other. So I think that's why we want to do it. But there are definitely challenges, no question about it. So you would say the majority of your users is coming from Web2 still today? Would you happen to know a percentage? Would say, hey, from X amount of new users every month, you know, what percentage is coming directly to the game from Web2 and how many are coming, you know, effective from other chains? Do you do you have this visibility on your data there? Yeah, I, yes and no. I think, uh, yeah, I don't want to say any figure. I, I don't know it specifically in my head, but I would say definitely over 80% probably of our wallets are wallets that are fresh, you know, that have not transacted on other chains, that have not interacted with other games before. So we took this approach and it actually turned out really good. So we took this approach because we, I mean, first and foremost, we believe in the ethos of decentralization of blockchain. Like we want all of our parts of the game to be on the blockchain. Like even if we need to unclog the blockchain, we don't want to take away part of our game from the blockchain. We, we believe that this is the future. So we really wanted to make sure that, you know, we could also be a gateway for Web2 users. And, and while that has been, you know, costly, uh, both in time and resources, it has also proven that if you hold a user who is not accustomed to blockchain by the hand and, and guide them through it, then if something happens in the game, so there's a bug or there's something that needs to be fixed, instead of like, a, you know, potentially a Web3 user saying like, hey, this doesn't work, like this is a big scam, oh, hey, you know, we need, I need to change. They're like, hey guys, I don't understand this. Could you support me and, and you know, show it? So we have an insane loyalty to our game. Like in, in our cohorts, if you look at the users that joined in January 2022, 12 months later, so January 23, we have 65% of them still playing. And the way that we do this, it, it's, you know, we try to be there for our users, not only, you know, in Discord and, and in, in different social channels, but we actually go into those places. Like we have a guy who is in Vietnam, Philippines, China now. And he's basically filling up stadiums with people who wants to talk to him and wants to be there to want to understand. And, you know, just being there and showing that, you know, we're real, we talk to you, we, we support you. I think that makes a lot of difference. And we actually now in, saw that when he, he arrived in, in Vietnam, like three weeks ago, now they have a chain of coffee shops named after Planet IX. They have branded taxi cars. Planet X. I even saw, I think that might be fake, but I saw a plane with Planet X logo. So they're really taking this seriously and becoming a big part of their life, which is, you know, it's humbling to say the least. That's amazing, actually. And, you know, it's it's interesting you say this from that perspective, because I just thought about myself when you run into trouble, right? Like, I think all of us, even after years in the space, have this, right? You go somewhere and something doesn't work and you're actually not sure if, you know, it's a bug if it's something you're doing wrong or if you're just being a total ignorant dickhead, right? So you you also don't go about, you know, shouting at people because I guess somehow you think it might be ridiculous, right? Yeah, and it's because of this, like, do your own research uh, type of mentality, right? Which, you know, in a sense makes sense that people need to understand and, and read up for themselves. But it, but it also becomes like, you know, it is daunting to do the first transaction. It's like if, mm -hmm. when you're going to send your first, uh, you know, token in MetaMask, uh, it's like, am I doing this wrong? What does this mean? Like, okay, but now there's something else popped up that didn't do it last time. 
like it is daunting for a person and and also with the fact that you know everyone knows that if you send this wrong it's gone forever so you, there needs to be this like level of support for new users which i guess we have or at least i hope we have we've done better than any other i think there is an ongoing and continuous degree of excitement for a certain type of people including ourselves i would add you and would obviously add me there that you keep on learning and the journey into web3 is likely as exciting or more exciting than any app or game that you can play and you know connecting your personal journey into the space obviously having somebody that you know can so to speak hold your hand and be there is of tremendous value and i can see obviously how looking at this from a business perspective again you know how this is a way of creating community and brand so that is very 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 interesting yeah exactly exactly and that's exactly the point so in our discord we have i think around 80,000 people and we have probably 30 or 40 50 what we call guardians and these are you know users that have took it upon themselves to guide others and initially like they didn't do it for any type of remuneration we taught them and they listened to what we said and then they say you know hey i can actually learn other people this and and i think that's the beauty when you see this community and ecosystem starting to help each other and then we can take like a step back of course and then now we're trying to incentivize them to you know have you done a good job yeah then you can get you know you are rewarded of assets in the game or, or something but it's really inspiring to see that people without the incentive actually you know stepping up and say but hey i know this i can answer this question i can support this new user and i think that's you know it's very corny but i think that's the whole whole idea of web3 like do your own research but you know be there support each other like we are still so small like we are not fighting against each other we are fighting against the other world like we all want to bring this and make this better so i think that's it's just a beautiful thing to be honest no oh, yeah i think i go back to this there's a you know friend of mine that he became a friend through being a customer at you know my other business at a marketing agency with it 10 years and this guy went into web3 it's like at his third company now i think in business development his name is Pete and you know i think two years back i talked to him and it was like i had looked at the space from the outside still and it was two years ago and he i asked him so you know it's now your third like web3 startup you're participating in like why are you there and he's like dude man i i there's no way i'm going back into any of this like for sure not into any of the corporate bullshit and i'm not going back into the like SaaS and freaking silicon valley startup uh, world to put it simple that's what he said he's like yeah i found my people right and back then you know i was like okay i, I can't really confirm it because I just didn't have the experience and then it really when i started working in it you know building stuff it, it, I, i think the same thing happened i think this is somewhat what happens to users all along right like it's this opportunity to come in to realize hey it's totally chaotic it's complex it's it feels risky you know you're dealing with money you know it like money can be mm -hmm. lost there's a lot of scams going on but on the other side there's also this really warm welcome and this helping hands of people being around you that make you feel like well you know like i'm i'm welcome here you know i'm not just a customer or a user or a gamer but there's others here and there here you know like it's yeah it's suddenly like you turn on the light and there's others around you right and i think it's a big thing obviously 
Yeah, no, definitely. There is just so many nuances to this. So like I thought about this because I got a question a while back, like how do you build a community? And it's very difficult, of course. But like there are so many small things that matter. I remember a while back we had like a meme competition where we like rewarded people for doing meme. And then we had like a lingo competition where, you know, people come up with or, you know, we have create sort of our own way of expressing ourselves and, and how we talk and what like slang we use and stuff. And all those things really, you know, makes you feel like, hey, I got a family of 80,000 people. Like, and I just want to sit and chat with these people for, you know, for a few hours. It's like, it's a completely different thing. This, you know, in Web2, this never happened. And what is great about it from like a corporate perspective is that this is the best idea funnel, the best quality assurance. Like you get everything for free. Like you handed a platter of like, hey guys, like users that are playing the game, like our users, they spend like 50 minutes a day in the game. And they're like writing long letters, like, I love this, I love this, I love this. But I think this would be really cool to have. Like, could we do something like this? And it's like, we've been given like great ideas on a silver platter. And also like, hey guys, you know, there's a bug here, we need to fix this. Like that would never happen in any Web2 company. They have a Facebook group probably where people are complaining. But here you can extract like useful intelligence of how to improve your game and how to improve your product. It's just, it's amazing. Yeah, extremely exciting. Let's stick to this a little bit. I think, you know, looking at the challenges and this opportunity of community building and the challenges of users of onboarding. When I looked at your game and onboarding experience, obviously, you know, you're also providing instructions and you have the, I think you have the LeFi widget, you know, to do cross-chain swapping. But what is the onboarding experience actually for a new Web2 user? What's the typical path for your users until they have the tokens that are actually in the game? Do you have a clear picture there? Actually, we are in the middle of a big rehaul of our onboarding. So the onboarding so far has been partially the website. Uh, you know, we have a game book that people can read through, but also us having a lot of AMAs and supporting people over, you know, Twitter spaces or, or, or Zoom, etc. But of course, you know, if you want to onboard the next million people, that's not a feasible solution. We're working on a much better onboarding experience. I think a key component which we are introducing there is sort of a, you know, quest-like onboarding where you say, okay, go and do this and you get rewarded by, you know, something. Then do this and, and you get rewarded. And like step by step, you're getting into the game. Carl, before going into that part first, like, but how is the typical onboarding experience if you would have to say, hey, Right now, 80% of users are going like this path, like whatever, they go into Binance and buy Matic and then they swap to you or they people are what they're onboarding on Ethereum first. What do you know about your users onboarding process? I'm really curious here. The majority of our Web2 users that we have onboarded has been either through sales partners or, you know, directly when we have been around visiting. So I think that has been the process, so to speak. And then, you know, in terms of how you do it, there are guides on how, you know, how to download MetaMask. We have done a lot of educational videos, like mm -hmm. basically taking you from, okay, I don't have a clue to, you know, this is when you stake your land and you get X, Y, Z. We have used a lot of uh, like tutorials, a lot of talking to people, game books, etc. So yeah. how would you recommend a Web2 user, like whatever, I, my sister hears about the game from a friend. She doesn't have MetaMask installed yet. What path would you recommend? What is the fastest path? 
or the path of like less obstacles that you would recommend to a user in order you know to get into the game and have your token like what do you think today is the fastest path the fastest path is to get a web3 wallet you need matic to do transactions you need uh, some ixt and that you can buy on, on a decentralized exchange or a few central exchanges and then basically you know then you're in the game because you're logging in with the wallet so it's completely web3 but would you recommend your users to go over a centralized exchange or would you say hey you're coming for the first time get metamask but how do i get best the tokens like what is the recommendation you would give like in practical steps today it depends a little bit on what the user wants to achieve if they only want to play our game uh, you know because you need tokens in your wallet to get our tokens right so i would say the probably the easiest way is to go to one of the three or four central exchanges that we are listed on mm-hmm. and with a credit card you can buy our tokens essentially and then you have our tokens and then you're basically free to play in the game so yes your token is listed so i could go and exchange buy your token but i will also need to buy some matic tokens and then i need to withdraw the tokens from the central exchange into my non-custodial wallet and then i can enter right there's no faster path of doing this right or I guess if I'm coming from Ethereum, well, then I have some Ether, ideally, and then I can, you know, cross-chain swap. I do Matic, and then I get, you know, your token, and I have both. But I guess your users either come from Ethereum or they come from a central exchange. Would that be correct? Yes, I would say so. Many of our new users are using central exchanges. Many, do you think? Yeah, as first-time users, because if you want to trade on a decentralized exchange, you need another token to trade it with, and you need to get that somehow. And there are alternatives where you can buy directly with credit card in MetaMask, so, so that could be a solution. But I, I believe most of our first-time users are using central exchange to get access to our token. So like on our website... We can sell all NFTs. Uh, so when you buy NFTs or you know, packs of NFTs on our website, we actually have a credit card solution. But the problem is that we can't sell either Matic or our own ERC20 token because then we become a financial intermediary. So the tokens you need to get somewhere else. I don't have the data, but I believe a lot of our first-time users are coming from a central exchange where they can use the credit card to buy both Matic and our token and then they'll send it to the MetaMask. What you're highlighting here, it is really the challenge of Web3 gaming, right? There's so many steps to get going. And this whole process needs to be streamlined in order to really onboard the next billion people, as you know, everyone is talking about. What do you think the solution is for that? I mean, I guess, you know, and you guys are big enough, you are listed, right? So you can get your token directly. I'm just thinking, you know, anyone that's building a new game today, right? Like you would start today with build on Polygon. You're in a bear market, even worse, right? Until you might get to potential listing, which means, you know, you're going to need to get people. There's no other way. They need to onboard onto Matic and then get the token and then they need to swap. And then once they've swapped, they can go back and they can onboard, right? So I guess from your guys' perspective, likely if, you know, things became easier reducing the steps, you guys should see a significant increase in conversion from people, you know, coming to your website and ending up playing the game, I guess, right? Yeah, no, definitely. And so, I mean, if we take the bull market, for example, I think the expected and, and hopeful, uh, you know, massive increase in our user base I mean, that will be driven by a number of things. Essentially, more people are coming into crypto as a whole, which means that they're going to buy one token of some sort. And once you're on-ramped your fiat into a token, then it's much, much easier to play around in the whole Web3 ecosystem because you can do 
easy cross-chain swaps. But you need more people to actually do that first transfer where you can get uh, you know, fiat money into some form of crypto money. But as, as more people do that, then it's not very difficult to swap. Super simple. What would you wish for if you had you know, one thing, one technology, one feature, maybe one regulatory change? Like, What single thing would you think make a huge impact on adoption of your game and at large with that, obviously, to the Web3 ecosystem. If you had one wish, what would you wish for? I mean, regulatory is always a you know, massive consideration, not knowing exactly how uh, you know, regulators are thinking and changing is always something that you, you need to keep in mind. But the single thing that will enhance our game is continue to do the same thing we're doing. I think we found like a secret sauce, which actually works. And I think we need to make the UI better. We need to make sure that transactions are faster. Personally, while I, you know, I love the decentralization and the security, you know, the holy trinity, I don't think that the regular users do care that much. Mm-hmm. So I think improving UI and onboarding is probably the two things that will ensure that we will see this continued growth in the next years to come. Very good, Carl. This was super, super interesting. You know, it was a very good reminder for me how much in Web3 everything is about community. And I think not only out of a business incentive and interest to, you know, help your users or support your users, but to actually be there for them and, you know, enjoy the journey with them. So appreciate that very much. This was a fantastic insight. I thoroughly appreciate this chat. It was really great. Carl, thank you for your time and enjoy the rest of your day. DAO Talks is brought to you by Grindery. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing to DAO Talks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other platform you fancy. To find out more about Grindery, visit grindery.io. Thanks for joining me. Tim out.